Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. Oh, he is risen. And it had been a rough week. And it started well. Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, just as Solomon had, who was a first son of David. And just as had been predicted by the prophet Zechariah, a crowd, the disciples' children were all shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, which was all appropriate and right and proper. Because Jesus was the son of David. He was coming in the name of the Lord and Hosanna in the highest because he was the Lord. It had started out so well. But it went downhill from there. Jesus went from the praise and acclaim of the people in the streets. He went from there to the temple on purpose and he cleansed it. Violently cleansed the temple which kind of guaranteed how the rest of the week was going to go. And after the, after the royal entrance of Jesus his king and after sanctifying the temple, Jesus went back to Bethany that evening, probably to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And on Monday, they went back to Jerusalem. And on the way, Jesus cursed a fig tree and argued with religious authorities and promised the destruction of Jerusalem and pronounced judgment on those religious leaders, asking them how they were going to escape being condemned to hell. So it was a confrontational beginning of the week. Jesus was not making new friends. Again, as I said, all but guaranteeing the week's outcome. Now, there was a sweet moment that week. On Wednesday in the evening, he was anointed with an alabaster jar of perfume. But even that was marred by the stinginess of the disciples who only could think of the expense, the expense of worshiping the Lord. On Thursday, he made preparations for the Passover. And at that meal, in a pretty disconcerting, uncomfortable move, he washed every one of those disciples' feet, revealing the very essence of a Christian's relationship to others. And then Jesus told those gathered there with him that he was going to die. And it was going to be Judas who's going to make that happen by, help, by, by, by betraying him. And indeed told Judas to go do it, get it over with, get it done. And he told Peter that he was going to deny him, that Peter was going to deny him. And he told the rest of them that they would all fall away. Of course, then they went to the garden for prayer. And the Lord pled with his father. Is there another way? But if not, so be it. Not my will, but your will. The disciples fell asleep, having no idea that their lives were about to be turned upside down. Judas arrived with soldiers. A fight ensued. Many riot in the garden, which Jesus put a stop to. Jesus was hauled off, tried in a kangaroo court by both Herod and Pilate on trumped-up charges, and Peter did what he swore he would never do. He denied even knowing Jesus. And so Jesus was beaten, whipped, mocked all night, taunted for claiming to be king, and then paraded through the streets as a criminal, not as a king. It was a quite a different 
parade than what had happened just five days before. As part of that punishment, Jesus was forced to carry the very thing that would kill him until he couldn't carry it anymore. And then, of course, he was nailed through hands and feet to a cross, and he was left wriggling to slowly die naked, as agonizing and as humiliating a death as those in power could devise. And he wasn't even given the privilege of being executed in private. He was made to die with two others so that he would be indistinguishable from two other nameless convicts. Made to die in full view of an accusing public so that the last thing that Jesus would see before he died were the mocking crowds and curious voyeurs who were looking for some entertainment on a Friday afternoon by the suffering and death of an unjustly condemned man. A so very inescapable and public humiliation and condemnation as God-forsaken and cruel a death as one could event, shaming not only Jesus, but shaming everyone associated with him. And then Joseph of Arimathea, in a courageous act of mercy and kindness, took Jesus' blood-drained dead body off the cross so that the gawkers would be denied further mocking. And Joseph placed Jesus in his own tomb to remain there for the rest of time at least as far as anyone knew. It had been a rough week, tough week. Yeah, how about just the worst week of, that ever was for Jesus, for those disciples, and those who had believed in him. We probably ought to have a little bit of compassion on those first followers of Jesus because their response to Jesus' execution Understand, by every single authority there could possibly be, Jesus' execution by the civil authorities, by the political class, and Jesus' execution demanded by those who claimed to speak for God, which made all of those associated with Jesus pariahs themselves, outcasts themselves, indeed fugitives, exiles. Their response to the events of the Passion Week makes perfect sense. Of course they hid, afraid, cloistered together in a locked room. That made perfect sense. I mean, they had been abandoned by their Lord. They were left trying to figure out just what they were supposed to do with the rest of their lives. And so, of course, Peter decided to go back to what he knew, fishing. And, of course, Thomas declared that he was not going to be suckered again. And, of course, Mary and Mary in their deep sorrow, did what one does when someone you love dies. They went to the place where he was. They went to the tomb to mourn. Well, what else would you do when everything you had been living for is gone? What do you do when you hear the one you believed in cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do you do when your God dies? And what do you do when the entire world is so opposed to the one you believed in, so opposed that he is executed? Well, you do what they did. You hide out in fear. You go back to doing what you were doing before. You determine never to be deceived again, and you live in the black hole of a sorrow that you're not sure will ever go away. 
What do you do when your God dies? What do you do when your God is executed? You live afraid and confused and disillusioned and as sad as you could possibly be. Yeah, it had been a rough week, just the worst week that ever was. But of course, we know what happened on Sunday. We've been reading about it, singing about it, testifying to it and celebrating it all morning. So those who had gone to the tomb to mourn a dead savior discovered the tomb empty. And this is what happened next. An angel was there. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so Mary and Mary did that. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples, he is risen. But they didn't get very far. Because Matthew tells us, suddenly Jesus met them and said, well, what would you say if you were Jesus? You'd say, hello? Maybe, hello? You'd say what many translations say, what Jesus said, greetings. Greetings? Which is a true translation. But you might say something else if you're Jesus. You see, the problem with that English translation is that's not all that word means. Jesus just didn't say hello, greetings. If you were Jesus, you might say what that word also means. Rejoice. You see, what Matthew recorded Jesus saying is the Greek word karete. C-H-A-I-R-E-T-E, karete, which can be translated simply as hello. But this is what we must know this morning. This particular word karete comes from the Greek word for joy. As a matter of fact, it is more often translated as joy or rejoice than it is hello because of the context within which it is found. For example, Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 12, to rejoice and be glad, karete. For example, Jesus told his disciples in Luke 10, 20, to rejoice that your names are written in heaven, karete. For example, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, karete. For example, the Apostle Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 3, 1, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Karete. For example, the Apostle Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. For example, the Apostle Paul told the, told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Rejoice always. Karete. So karete is more often translated as rejoice than it is hello because of the context, which means that when it is translated as hello, it has to include the connotation of joy. It has to include rejoice. You see, karete means more than hello. It means hello, rejoice, I'm here. That's what Jesus said to Mary and to Mary who had come to mourn his death. 
Suddenly Jesus came to them and he said, Hello, rejoice. I'm here. And that's the message today. The first thing the resurrected Jesus said to Mary and to Mary, who had just come through a pretty rough week, yeah, just the worst week in their entire lives, and who were afraid and confused and disillusioned and as sad as they could ever be, the first thing Jesus said to those two Marys was, Hello, rejoice, rejoice, hello, I'm here. And this is what I'm thinking this morning, this Easter morning, 2023. I'm thinking that's what Jesus does still. I'm thinking that's what Jesus says still. I'm thinking that's how Jesus still greets us. He doesn't just come with a hello. No, it's so much more rich and profound than that, our encounter with the Christ. He says the same to us when he suddenly comes to us. He says, hello, rejoice, I'm here. And folks, on this Sunday in which we've been celebrating Jesus' resurrection all morning, that's the Easter message. We can rejoice because the risen Lord is here in this room. Here's what happened on that first Easter Sunday morning. Jesus erased the entire worst week of those Mary's lives in an instant, in a moment, with his hello, with his rejoice, with his I am here. Because, folks, our, our, our salvation, our joy is the person of Jesus Christ. And that whenever, wherever he is present, there is joy. Indeed, the testimony of the truth of the risen Christ is the joy of his people who know his presence, even at the end of pretty rough weeks. So 12 words. Here's the message. The joy of the Christian is the presence of the risen Savior. Uh, so some of us are living through some pretty tough weeks. Some of us are living through some pretty tough months. Some of us have been living maybe some tough years. And some of us are living with fear and confusion. Some of us might even be disillusioned. And some are as sad as they have ever been. And hey, we all know this world gives plenty of reasons. As it did, those first generation of followers of Jesus Christ, the world hasn't changed. The world gives us plenty of reasons for instilling in us fear and confusion and disillusionment and sorrow. But this is what we know. Jesus does for us what he did for those two Marys. He brings us joy with his presence. He comes to us with not just a hello, but he comes to us and says, rejoice, 
Rejoice. I'm here. The joy of the Christian is the presence of the risen Savior. If I've spoken the truth, would you say amen? Let's sing of it. Let us sing of it. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.